Hello and welcome everybody. This is Wildstorm Addiction, episode number 34 for June 2012. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. And this month we will be discussing Stormwatch number 9, Grifter number 9, and Voodoo number 9, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the new DCU 52. I do want to remind everybody that we do spoil these issues in these comic books that we talk about. However, Joe does a written review that is spoiler-free on the website every Wednesday that he's able to as the issues release. So if you'd like to check out the reviews there, wildstormaddiction.com. See, I'm late on one review. and <laughs> <laughs> Only by a day. It's pretty impressive, actually. <laughs> So we actually have some Wildstorm news. It was pretty light at first, but every time there seems to be some at the end of the month, which is great. So I do want to say that we will not be discussing Ravagers number one or the culling crossover that led into it. We are deciding to actually record a special edition of the Wildstorm Addiction podcast next week to discuss all the issues because it it ended up being across so many titles and such a huge story that we are going to do an extra podcast for you guys. So hope you enjoy that. Uh, We forgot to mention last month that Stormwatch Volume 1, the Dark Side trade paperback, released on May 23rd. It collects the first six issues of the new Stormwatch in the DCU. So definitely if you guys have been trade waiting and listening to us, go out and get it now. It actually has some pretty cool extras that we saw posted at Clark's Bar. Some unused characters, too. That's not fair. They should use them all. <laughs> <laughs> In August, we see another Wildstorm character enter the DCU. Um, we're going to see Pike, who will face Hawkman in Savage Hawkman number 12. Hellspawn also returns in Grifter number 12, and Deathstroke number 12 presumably has more Zealot as we will discuss a little bit further in this podcast tonight, as well as Stormwatch gracing the cover and presumably the plot of I, Vampire number 12, which looks pretty awesome. Uh, The movie Red 2 is a go for August 2nd, 2013. This is the sequel to the 2010 movie starring Bruce Willis, uh, Helen Mirren, and Morgan Freeman, which was based on Warren Ellis' miniseries of the same name originally published by Wildstorm. Uh, Willis and Mirren are expected to reprise their roles with Anthony Hopkins and Catherine Zeta-Jones and Byung Hung Lee, uh, who is Storm Shadow from G.I. Joe, joining the cast as well. Did I pronounce that right? Man, I <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> he did pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and of course, of course, Morgan Freeman is not going to be back because, spoiler alert, he died in the first movie, so... <laughs> And guess what, guys? We actually have a listener email, which is awesome. I wish we had a little jingle for it, but since we get so few of these things, uh, we never bothered to try. So, anyways. Listener email. (laughs) There's your jingle. Very nice. (laughs) This is from Rick Morrison. So, Rick, thanks for writing in. He says, I've noticed sales for both Grifter and Voodoo's books are tanking. With these two gone, the Wildstorm DCU merger is pretty much near, nearly done for, and Wildstorm is one step closer to ending up where it was post the Wildstorm relaunch a few years ago. Liefeld on Grifter isn't going to be helping things. Is there any way to help these books to survive, at least till Liefeld leaves Grifter and Voodoo gets a creative team change? Wow. Gee, why don't you give us a hard question, Rick? (laughs) (laughs) 
this one's too easy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is basically what we've been thinking for a while now. <laughs> uh, you want to take this, Joe? I mean, I did answer his email, but I mean, basically, I think I would be very happy if we see a uh, Wildcats title announced here in the fall, because, you know, we just got the solicits for number 12. There's a rumor out there that DC is going to do a bunch of zero issues the month after, but of course that's still a rumor. I guess we'll have to wait another month and see. Well, I'm sure before then they're going to let us know, you know, if titles are going to be canceled. But, but I, I mean, 12 issues with with what we've been dealing with, you know, is a good is a good run. So if we lose both of them in favor of a Wildcats title, you know, maybe that was their plan all along. I don't know. Maybe they knew that these titles weren't going to survive on their own forever. Because they obviously have been giving him more of a chance than some of the other ones. So, yeah, I, I agree. In fact, I think in one of these issues, they had a big advertisement that said, you know, life held on DC's biggest titles or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, really? <laughs> yeah. So, but we'll get to that. But, yeah, I mean, basically, just to answer his question, I mean, I, I think that they still have a plan. Obviously, they've been pushing the Daemonites a lot. So even if we do lose Grifter and Voodoo, we'll still have Stormwatch and the Ravagers and and hopefully, you know, replace with a Wildcats title. So that's, that's what I think. I don't know if you have anything different, Ben, but... I expect a lot of announcements as we go through the summer, you know, San Diego, and, and until you get up to New York Comic Con in October, you never really know what's what's going to happen. But I think a lot of people are, are pretty much anticipating a wild, Wildcats title, at least hoping for. I know I am. <laughs> These, these titles have seen better days, as as we'll get into later tonight. But once again, thank you so much for writing in, Rick, and listening to the podcast. Appreciate it. Speaking of listeners, big shout out to all the regular listeners, as we had nearly double the amount of downloads for the month of May. So Joe and I want to thank you guys for spreading the Wildstorm love. And if it wasn't for you, you know, we wouldn't be here doing this. And it's it's pretty much out of love of Wildstorm, everything Wildstorm. So, thank you. Yes, well, we definitely appreciate that, guys. So, so keep spreading the word. Keep keep uh, reposting our podcast wherever you can, because I know that's what we try to do now that there's no more DC message boards. So, <laughs> uh, but we'll go ahead and move into the first review of the night, which is Stormwatch number nine, which is released on May second, written by Peter Milligan with art and cover by Miguel Sepulveda. Also wanted to note, uh, well, this is Ben putting this note because I've been slacking on this, but uh, we do get another black and white sketch variant, and apparently there's been a variant for each of these issues since issue number five. So, um, you know, I'm not I'm not big on variants. I don't know, Ben, have you been keeping up with getting each of the variants? Sadly, I have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I've only missed one of them. I think I missed number six. Yeah, because uh, DCBS has them listed, you know, every every time I order, but they they don't have what they look like at the time, and then obviously I'm supposed to be adding those to the wiki. I'm a little behind on that. I was trying to catch up this week, so anyway, yeah, just watch out for those. But <clears throat> this is the first uh, issue of new writer, you know, Peter Milligan taking over, and you know he's uh, been doing some other stuff in the DCU. Obviously, the first one that uh is brought to attention in this issue is that he's been doing the red red lanterns title and he starts off by doing a quick crossover by bringing one of the red lanterns into this title which i thought was was really cool because it it uh it allows people who are following that title to kind of crisscross and i think if i'm not mistaken i think red lanterns number 10 is going to have apollo in uh 
Midnighter in it, so that's going to be pretty cool to see next month. Basically, we open up with uh, with Midnighter and I guess what's uh, Stormwatch's version of the Danger Room, where he's uh, just training against a bunch of uh, holograms, which uh, some of them resemble uh, superheroes from a certain other company. We have a a Red Hulk here that's attacking <laughs> Midnighter, and he makes short work of him. So I thought that was kind of funny that he threw that in there. None of the other ones were as blatant as that one. But yeah, he's just basically um, starting to question whether or not he should even be in Stormwatch. And I'm sure especially after what happened with him and Jenny Quantum last issue, he really is questioning. <laughs> so now we you know, we go back to the engineer, and she's uh, you know aboard... Uh, Eye of the Storm. I almost called it Skywatch because I've been reading the old Stormwatch issues. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah, they uh, she detects uh, an incoming uh, something that looks, you know, at first glance it looks like a uh, a comet rocketing to Earth, and she sends Apollo and Midnighter after it to go see what it is. And I don't know, there's something about this whole thing, like we already talked about before. You know, this title, for all intents and purposes, has become the Authority plus Martian Manhunter, which, if you read the solicits for number 12, it's not going to be the case much longer. <laughs> but it's just something cool to see that, uh, you know, her sending down Apollo and Midnight, it's just, it's just like old times, I guess, even though this is the quote unquote first time, you know, we're getting the adventures of, the, of these versions of these characters. And, you know, early on, I was kind of off and on about Miguel Sepulveda's art, and I don't know uh, what it is about this issue that he just... I mean, each issue he's gotten... It seems to have gotten more and more comfortable drawing these characters. But here, he just really just seems to be having fun. You know, it's like when, when Apollo and Midnighter arrive uh, in the United Kingdom, which is where they're sent to to investigate... I mean, he does this cool thing where, you know, Apollo drops Midnighter and uh, he does a little motion drawing where it shows Midnighter doing a flip and landing. And it's just really, really cool. And I mean, it's just, it was unexpected, I guess. Uh, I neglected to to double check if it's a different colorist or, but something's definitely different here. And it, it's, it's different in a good way because, uh, like I said, I was kind of back and forth about his art in the beginning. But uh, Milligan starts us off with some some interesting concepts, which you know we've talked about in the past. That's one of the strengths of this title is that um, creators get to play with you know a bunch of different sci-fi concepts. And although the the title he chose for the issue for Wildstorm fans was kind of a tease, he calls it the Da Vinci Coda with an A at the end. And you know, for your old Wallstorm fans, know that uh, you know Zealot was part of a group of warriors called the Coda that basically were the Amazons of you know of the Wallstorm universe. I guess is what if you want to boil down to it. So, so that was a, that, that ended up being a tease because there was nothing in here that even <laughs> alluded to that. Did you pick up on that, Ben? Yep. And there's there's a lot of other teases um, throughout all the other books from this month that we'll talk about later. Yeah, if there's any others here that I skip over, let me know, because you're the, the one who rereads everything before we do the podcast, so you're the good reviewer. I'm being the bad reviewer. I don't ever reread these, so... I, uh, I wouldn't get that far, but... <laughs> <laughs> of course, some of them would be painful to reread. We'll, we'll get to that in oh. a second. It's definitely not Stormwatch that I'm talking about. <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, as with most of the Stormwatch stories, there's usually two different things going on. And the second 
part of the story that's going on here is the other half of the team, which is Hawksmore, Martian Manhunter, and Jenny Quantum get sent to Italy to go after this uh, new... Um, I still want to call them superpowered beings, but I guess in the DC universe, are they metahumans? I don't know. It's it's hard to get used to some of the simple little ter- terminology. But yeah, they they come uh, against this guy who who looks like the the drawing from Leonardo da Vinci. Um, and where is his name? He says it here. Help me out here, Ben. The Vitruvian Man. There you go. Because <laughs> that's what they refer to him as, the Vitruvian Man, is that he claims to have been in Stormwatch before. It's kind of an idea that they presented here that was pretty interesting, but if I remember right, later they don't ever go any, anywhere with that. Yeah, because I'm sorry, because my main focus of this issue was the Red Lantern. <laughs> Even though the whole Vitruvian Man thing was interesting, um, when the Red Lantern Skellix shows up, and that that just made this issue for me because I'm not a I'm not a big Green Lantern fan. I've actually gone back and and started rereading the the books that led up to Blackest Night again. One of the things that I liked about this issue with Skalix was that when they encounter when he encounters Apollo in Midnight, he doesn't even talk to them. He just automatically starts attacking. I thought that was cool, and I've forgotten that that that's apparently a um, a trait that the Red Lanterns have, because when I was reading all the descriptions of the different lanterns in the back of the uh, all the, the trades leading up to Brackus Knight, it actually specifies that, that lan- Red Lanterns usually just, just start a fight. They don't even, they need no provocation or whatever. And this was a good reminder for me, because like I said, I hadn't read about them in a while, because I don't follow the Red Lanterns title. But, you know, where he opens up and spits that, you know that red uh, acid or whatever it is uh, all over Apollo's face, and so it's kind of like you know the gauntlet's thrown basically, and Apollo's face is all scarred up, but he still gets a good a good hit in on Skylux and creates a small concussion explosion as he hits the ground, and then it's Midnighter's turn, and and uh, Midnighter's able to evade Skylux's attacks and. Meanwhile, Apollo has to head up into the atmosphere to uh, to recover from all his burns. And Midnighter and Skellix are just beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> I just appreciated that, you know, because the Red Lanterns are a pretty intense idea. And, I mean, during all those crossovers, you know, obviously lots of Lanterns died and things like that. So I was glad to see that that, that idea of how threatening... Uh, this particular core is uh, came out here where Apollo and Midnight are actually in some sort of danger here, and you know, for two of the most powerful characters, that's kind of a hard thing to uh, to convey sometimes because sometimes the, the villains they go up against are it's almost too easy for them. So it was it was kind of cool to to have them go up uh, against an adversary that uh, actually gave them a really good challenge and. Um, and mind you, this is just one Red Lantern. <laughs> so, um, you know, finally, Midnighter actually ends up having to cut off Skellix's arm, the the arm that has the red ring, and that's finally how he's able to defeat him. And Midnighter is is uh, really close to uh, to killing Skellix before Apollo finally comes back and and stops him. And <laughs> I guess this is where we continue the relationship with him because he grabs Midnighter and he's like, you don't have to kill them all, honey. (laughs) (laughs) 
and they kind of they kind of touch on the fact that that red lanterns for all intents and purposes are dead that's just the ring that keeps them alive because as soon as they take the ring off it's you know there's no heartbeat it's Skalix is is dead they put the uh, the ring back on just long enough to uh, to get him back to Skywatch. I mean, there I go again. <laughs> to <laughs> storm. <laughs> I was just reading the Warren Ellis hardcover today. Uh, that's why it's stuck in my mind. That's okay. So you know they get Skalix back to the Eye of the Storm, and he's in the uh, what I call the back to tank, looking kind of like Luke Skywalker from the <laughs> <end of. laughs> and. Uh, yeah, sweet underpants on like Luke did. <laughs> yeah, he does actually. <laughs> Apparently, the the uniform is part of the ring too, and but you get to keep your biker shorts, you know, so that way you're not indecent when you're captured. So <laughs> they are observing him, <laughs> and meanwhile, while they're doing that, they bring in uh, the Vitruvian man. This is the part where he's babbling about the. You know about uh, the Shadow Lords and the fact that they're the ones that uh, gave him his powers. Before they can get too much into it, before we were about to get what I thought was going to be a Demon Knights reference, because you know it starts showing that time period. Suddenly, that's when uh, his powers start going crazy again, and he tries to, or he does escape. And apparently, the the Red Ring detects his anger at what, at what happened to him, and and his true love that was killed because of everything that that happened due to the shadow the shadow lords the red ring uh breaks from containment and is about to to come to him you know to because it detects his rage and uh midnighter just just before the ring gets to him walks up and snaps the guy's neck <laughs> and then the red ring goes up to him and is about to give itself to midnighter but thankfully the engineer captures it in time Midnighter as a Red Lantern would be a scary thing. <laughs> I think even though that the other Red Lanterns would be scared to have him. As we've already seen before, this Midnighter is not afraid to kill. You know, a plot point that they that they haven't brought up since, but apparently that he killed Deathstroke's son. Uh, but that was brought up in, in the original run of Deathstroke. I don't know if Liefeld's going to continue that. But anyway, just a side note. But now Stormwatch has another trinket. They have a red ring. Despite everything they had to do, um, Midnighter takes off, and he's still, especially ever having to deal with everything he just did, uh, goes back into the uh, quote-unquote danger room <laughs> and just starts beating up you know, simulations again. And this is a part that I didn't completely understand. I don't know if you got something different on it, Ben, but you know, he's basically you know, still musing about whether or not he should be in Stormwatch to begin with. And he kind of gives the sense that he thinks that they'll get rid of him at some point. And when he's thinking about that, he um, sees an image of of Batman. And so I don't know if he... I, I, I don't really know what to think about that. But that's basically where the where the issue ends. So what what did you get from that, Ben? Because I'm still kind of iffy about that, that whole last scene. Out of the three Wildstorm titles... Um... Stormwatch was doing the best. However, even it was starting to slide over the last couple months. So they wanted to sell a lot of copies. So they threw Batman in at the end. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a cheap. You know, Batman was on the cover. 
Not the end. And uh, uh, we'll get, when we get to Voodoo, we'll talk about people who should be on covers for the month. But anyway. <laughs> I, I'm teasing. But, I mean, Midnighter has... I mean, this issue was had a lot to do with Midnighter's uh, personal demons. Um, I mean, we didn't go into a lot of his past, but he still feels kind of on on the outside of of this team. So I don't know what what's kind of going through his head. I guess he doesn't feel like he belongs very much. I'm sure Apollo is the only one kind of keeping him there. But uh. Yeah, I mean there was a there was a couple things in this issue that you may have skipped over a little bit. So the Vitruvian man um talking about once being part of Stormwatch, he's now um dead. He's part of the Shadow Lords, I guess. Uh he's part of their world, I guess, their realm. So I, I don't know how he got pulled back into reality. But uh I guess his era was a little bit different than the the Demon Knights era. I think this was uh, the Renaissance time period because of uh, his uh, his name being linked to Leonardo da Vinci. Demon Knights was much much further in the past with uh, you know dragons and and medieval times. It was a little bit different time periods. Uh, this issue was a little bit different than we had. I know we just came off of that that two issue run, um, which was another whole side story. So it'll be interesting to see what where they're kind of going with this. I know that pretty soon we're gonna get to see Harry Tanner again, which is is great because he was a, an awesome new addition uh, to this title. That was, you know, other than Martian Manhunter, everybody, as you said, is basically the authority relabeled for all intents and purposes so to have harry come back and and kind of throw a wrench back into this group will will be interesting to see so i'm looking forward to the summer issues so to speak um let's go into grifter number nine which was released on may 9th written by rob liefeld and frank Thierry. do we have to (laughs) yes we have to This is what we get paid for. Oh wait, no, we don't get paid. We don't get paid at all. We get paid in downloads, and we got we got double downloads last month. So obviously, people like to listen to us. So we'll be nice on this one. <laughs> With art by Scott Clark and cover by Rob Liefeld. So this issue starts in another mountain range, which we actually spoke about in the last issue, which was kind of funny. This this issue starts in the Swiss Alps. Grifter loves his mountain ranges. So he is snowboarding because, you know, he has that skill set. He likes to snowboard. And he's being chased by some Daemonites. He's musing in his head how he hates his life and that he's being chased all the time and he's the most wanted man. He's also musing about how he uh, hates Daemonites, everything about them, except for one thing, how they die. So, you know... Uh, I'll go into this in a little bit. No, 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 no. You, you can't, you can't just glaze over that. Uh, <laughs> this is a... <laughs> so, so the uh, the original uh, Grifter Snark is back. His ridiculous dialogue is is quite apparent, and his monologuing is 
atrocious at at best. Anyways, he um, runs across a brand new Daemonite breed, which is a uh, an elite warrior class Daemonite because just the Daemonites themselves weren't weren't good enough, and and their leaders. So you know, it, now we have this red, uh, nasty looking Daemonite. I don't even know how to describe this thing because it it doesn't even look anything like. Them. Well, I can yeah, I can tell what they're doing. They're they're trying they're trying to make him like the black uh, curate. Yeah, the black curate who is red. Which he looked a lot better than this, but anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah, this is a very cartoony version of it. Oh, so I I didn't get to mention the only thing that uh, Grifter likes about the Daemonites is is how they die it, that they die so so well you know they die okay yeah yeah by, the exact line <laughs> by by his hands of course <laughs> so he you know he's snowboarding down this mountain shooting up some daemonites and runs across one of these elite what do they call them i think they're just like the warrior class or something like that yeah so he he calls them the deluxe model cheesy enough for you anyways so <laughs> As he's fighting one, uh, a, a new character comes into this title, um, and it's a female character, all clad in green, and we will soon find out that her name is Nico. Does she have a code name, Joe, that you know of? Uh, she's Cheshire. Ah, okay. An old DC character, and this is her introduction to New 52. Okay. I, I just didn't want to pronounce that, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> They, they never they never say that so they just they just say Nika so I'm not familiar with the character so anyway she starts kicking butt and helping Grifter out not that Grifter needs the help apparently because he uh, just likes to quip with her back and forth um, and and be his uh, wily way especially when there's women involved however he wasn't very much cheesy like this in the first you know seven or so issues when he was dealing with juggling three three female characters um who all died horrible horrible deaths he he seemed to care about them as human beings <laughs> not pieces of meat so whatever we're we're back to a really weird version of grifter now so they beat the crap out of those daemonites and now they go to a safe house that just happened to be nearby which is just a cabin in the in the alps um, pretty empty cabin, but this is where this issue gets really deep. So I'm going to take it slow just in case anybody doesn't miss what's going on in this issue. Cause you know, Stormwatch is very heady. There's a lot of sci-fi things that we have to explain all the time. So with Grifter, you know, they're hitting us hard here. So I, I really just want to make sure that nobody misses this thing. So Nico rescues Grifter cause he needed the help, honestly, and they're talking, and, and she starts going into her spiel and explaining herself to him and talking about the Daemonites and, the, and their new class. And, and she's talking about how, you know, the humans need to revolt against them because, you know, they're alien invaders and they're they're here to wipe out humanity and take over Earth. And that, you know, she's looking for the chosen one who's who's supposed to be prophesied to take up the cause to lead the human revolt and resistance against the Daemonite invasion, the alien invasion. Don't miss it, people. Grifter is that chosen one. 
never would have thought that in a thousand years that he would have been to him. And, you know, just for good purposes and everything, she beats the crap out of him just so that he, he, he's in check and everything. And, and he, he knows who's boss here. (laughs) Cue the matrix music, by the way. (laughs) All right. Um, Oh, and now since they're indoors, she gets to strip down into something a little bit more comfortable, I guess about 50% more skin showing, which is fun. Anyways, uh, yeah, Grifter's like, oh, great, I'm the chosen one. Ha, there's been many chosen ones. So he, I guess, agrees to lead the resistance. He He's all on board, I guess, now. He he has nothing better to do, I guess, since the Daemonites took everything from him, took his, took his lover, took his friends, took his brother. So, you know, he's pretty much like, oh, I'm the most wanted man, I guess. They keep talking about that. You know, Nathan had a good idea with that, and it just never got followed through on because he got ripped off the book, and I'm sure editorially he got pushed around a lot. So I don't even know why they keep discussing that because he's only wanted by the Daemonites. I talked about this already, not by the DCU, which was how, you know, we were pitched on this, that he would be the most wanted in the DCU, which he's wanted by Green Arrow. For breaking into his <laughs> his company. <laughs> yeah, I I know, and he ran into Midnighter, but I mean, it, it's not playing that. So why bother even bringing that up unless they're going to do something with it? Anyways, they're packing up, they're getting ready uh, to haul out of here and meet some some others for the resistance at at the rendezvous point. And uh, Grifter's spidey sense goes off, and he whips out his uh gun and uh lo and behold a new wildstorm character enters the dcu and busts through the door of the cabin it's death blow dun 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 which is actually really cool i i love death blow great character he was one of the best introductions into wildstorm in my opinion i love the first 12 issues of the original series of death blow uh the art and the writing i thought were fantastic uh, so it is really cool to see him on this title, and I'm sure that this is to help out this title because <laughs> it needs a lot of help. But I just don't know that it's going to be enough, honestly. That's pretty much it. I mean, you know, Deathblow's aware that Grifter is supposedly the chosen one to re- lead the resistance, and he kind of teases him about it and calls him his royal, your royal highness, and and Grifter. Uh, just like we all did reading this book, slaps himself in the forehead and goes, you yeah, know, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. Uh, <laughs> there you have it, everybody. <laughs> Grifter number nine. Thank you, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What did you think, Joe? <laughs> I, I hear I hear the internets were a buzz that you actually said something not so nice about this title. Yeah, I know people were people were shocked. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I said everything I wanted to say in my written review. Not everybody can read. They want to hear. Yeah, I know. Right? They want to hear <laughs> you say it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just go read it word for word. Let me pull it up on the site. <laughs> um, no, it, it just felt like a huge step backwards, you know, because like you said, you know, Nathan had set up a lot. Yeah, there was some there was some lag there towards the end of Nathan's run, but 
you know, he did sit up some interesting things about being the most wanted man in the DCU and all that. And obviously, he I'm sure little by little he was going to have Grifter encounter more and more, uh, you know, big DCU players. But he only ever got to do Green Arrow and Midnighter, and then that's it, you know, and focus on the Daemonites the rest of the time. And like when I saw the pencils for the for the uh, snowboard scene when they first started showing them, I mean, it looked pretty cool, and it still looks cool. I mean, that that scene is actually a really great scene. I don't think it's a different colorist, but there's just something about these other panels with the the warrior class that just don't look like Scott Clark. And when when Cheshire first comes in, that looks like Scott Clark because I know the way he draws women, and that's definitely him. You're right. I mean that the the Daemonites, the warrior class that they introduce, look cartoony. They just they don't look like scary monsters. Like the proportions are really weird, and and those couple panels just seem odd and out of place. But as soon as you get off of those, it does look like Scott Clark's art, and it kind of jumps back. And I'm sure that that was his, but it, it just, something about him looks off. Yeah, and then when we get later into more of Cheshire, I mean, he's just got a really distinct way of doing women, uh, and and I, I, I've always liked it. And, and when you get into the to the cabin and stuff, then that's definitely him. And even the way he draws Grifter in the cabin is different. You know, and in the whole in this big double page spread where Cheshire is telling the, the, the story and you do see the Daemonite, which I guess is the, 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 the soldier class or whatever. And they see the warrior class. Even that picture of the warrior class looks a little bit better than what we saw a few pages earlier. And the picture of Hellspont there in the middle is awesome, you know? Yeah. That is. So and I'm like, that's Scott Clark. You know, I don't know what the deal was. I don't know if he was rushed and maybe some of these, panels he got to spend more time on because that double page spread he definitely spent a lot of time on there's no doubt about that because it's so detailed okay you're beating around the bush you don't that's not why you didn't like this issue because i know that you didn't like this issue <laughs> I, I didn't like the issue but i'm trying to start off with what i did like because oh. i did like some aspects of it i do like cheshire uh i like even though it's a pretty simple design even the little the little things like the what i call the spray paint mask you know, <laughs> a pretty cool. I would have preferred that it be Zealot, but I don't know if, if if Rob was just trying to mix things up and not make it too predictable, which is kind of funny if that's his reasoning. <laughs> you know, because he put Zealot over in Deathstroke, which we'll talk about later. But because this, then this would have been the Wildstorm reunion book. You know, it would have been Grifter, Deathblow, and Zealot, which I would have been fine with. Just this whole thing about Grifter being the chosen one is just. It's just a storyline that's just been used to death, and it doesn't need to be in this title, because Grifter, you know, the way they introduced him, he obviously has a background, you know, in some sort of military, and at some point, I don't know if he has powers or whatnot, because obviously Nathan alluded to that, you know, with the whole, you know, catching Green Arrow's arrow and being like, it would be a long time before I, you know, found out how I did that, you know, type of stuff. And then, obviously, since then, there wasn't too much of that, just, a, you know, obviously expert gunplay, which he's always been known for. But he was a thorn in the Daemonite side because they had no idea that this pretty much guy from nowhere was going to cause them so much trouble. And that was a cool aspect because 
he would have left them alone if they had left him alone, basically. You know, it's kind of the old, you know, cliche from the action movies, like, this time it's personal, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they did make it personal because they killed his brother. Right. So that, to me, was plenty of justification for what Grifter was doing. But for all of a sudden, you know, for for them to be like, oh, you're the chosen one, and and yeah, I'm glad that he was like, yeah, whatever, you know? So yeah, it just and, and the and the writing is just very nineties. You know, like I said, I, I was just, I was going back and reading some old stuff, and even the early Stormwatch issues are are very kind of cringeworthy with the old writing, and this reminds me a lot of that. You know, and Grifter, like I said, he just lost his brother last issue. Like you named all the people he lost. You know, it's it's kind of like in the two titles, this one and Voodoo, that you know they're they're deleting all the characters from the previous creators' runs. You know. <laughs> I just don't see why he was never quippy like this in the in the first eight issues. Why all of a sudden is he like that? And it just didn't go with what had come before. Yeah, I mean, you know, editorially they probably felt like the new Grifter was way too serious, and then to have this flip back that felt very '90s just to us was very jarring, in, in my opinion. And it just seemed like so far to the other ditch that it's it's just bothering all of us so i don't know yeah i mean because it's still it the action is still great and it's funny because i don't know what it is but there's just some really huge panels in this in this book you know there's just a lot of just big pages i know did you notice that you can fit about the word count of the entire issue in about three pages of stormwatch i think yeah (laughs) And that's considering that, like I said, you know, Cheshire does have a whole story she tells on a double-page spread, you know. I mean, that that was just my main thing. It's just, it just kind of felt like it was undermining everything that had been brought before. And I understand with a new writer, you know, you you want to do your own thing, but there is a continuity, you know, that you kind of have to adhere to. Otherwise, what's the point? Might as well just do a bunch of miniseries that don't link to each other. Oh, uh, this this is definitely a number one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they scrapped everything that Edmondson had had started, basically. Which, it, for some odd reason, I when I reread this today, I'm almost okay with because I'm like, okay, well, at least they're they decided that they're doing something completely different and they're gonna stick to it and they're gonna go after it. So I'm like, all right, well, at least we're going in a direction of some sort because Edmondson never got to finish what he started. And by the time he found out, you know, he had to tie up a lot of loose ends and stuff, and it kind of just fell flat the last two or three issues. So it it was more disappointing than anything because, you know, his character just got butchered. So, I mean, whatever. It wasn't a great issue at all, but at least they're going with something. Yeah, I mean, we have some interesting things coming. Like, you know, you saw that uh, Hellspawn's going to be in issue number 12. So, spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? You did say spoilers at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> and I will give Lifeful credit for actually doing something unique with that cover. If you haven't seen it yet, it's basically Grifter's face with a, the mask painted on. So, I'm interested to see what the story is behind that. So, I mean, you know, and Liefeld did say that he likes the character. You know, there's one of his favorites that Jim Lee created. So, I don't expect him to do anything really crazy. So that's good, at least. <laughs> that he'll keep the spirit of what Jim Lee originally did. But yeah, that was just my main thing. It just, 
like you said, I think you, you summed it up. It's like a number one issue. You know, it's like this could have been Grifter number one back in September. <laughs> and um, I don't know if people would have received it as well. And, yeah, just a quick note, it is nice to have Deathblow again. With all the Team 7 references in the last month and the other DCU titles, it'll be interesting to see if these guys have any connection to that at all anymore, because we know that the Grifter and Flashpoint did. So, yeah, we'll see where this goes, but... Yeah, this this is it's just frustrating. So <laughs> anyway, let's 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 move on to to Voodoo. <laughs> Voodoo is doing with this title what I wish Grifter was doing. Let's just put it that way. Uh, we have Voodoo number nine, released on May twenty third, written by Josh Williamson with art by Sammy Vosri and cover by Rod Reese and Paolo Sequeira. I'll start with my only complaint about this title. Let me guess, the covers. <laughs> yeah. This is classic comic book non-communication between, you know, the the cover artist and the and the writer or whoever or editorial, you know, they because this cover has nothing to do with what happens inside. This is like an idealistic cover, you know. It, you know, cuz it it says on the cover, you know, pass this test for a certain death. And that's kind of what happens in the issue. <laughs> and it kind of feels like that's the, the little one phrase that they sent to Paolo, you know, and told him, okay, draw something based on this. And throw some Bioshock in there. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> I know, what the heck is that thing? But, you know, just to jump ahead a little bit, but Hellspawn comes out in this issue. Wait a second. Hellspawn's gay? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I had oh, no idea. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. I know, right? He's the he's the DC character that everybody's they're going to turn gay. You know, you, exactly. Everybody's seen that <laughs> announcement. Um, anyway, that was that was good. <laughs> anyway, point is is that after doing all that, you know, to put him in Superman, two issues. You know, it was a decent story. It wasn't the best, but you know, uh, a lot of people saw Hellspawn. So. Why not put him on the cover of this? And you know, maybe people who read that issue would be like, "Oh, look, another issue with that guy who came out on Superman." You know, <laughs> but no, we get the Bioshock Danger Room. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, we we do get into a pretty decent issue. This issue slowed down a lot, which is uh, forgivable considering that we've been going full speed since Williamson came on the title. <laughs> I think it was much needed and welcomed. Yeah, and it and it kind of sets up. What he's going to do next, um, but he he does some interesting things in this title, like um, you know it opens up with uh, Andrew Lincoln of the Blackhawks and Priscilla, presumably in front of her house, and she's going to go speak to her parents, and when she walks in, her parents are are uh, both decapitated, and there's the voodoo clone waiting for her, <laughs> and uh, it ends up being a dream. And these first few pages just remind me how much I love Sammy Bosri's art. Because I just, even the simple things, the little things he does, I mean, you know, when she snaps out of the dream, you know, I just I just love that, that panel. It just looks great, you know. He's got, he's always had great facial expressions for the characters. You know, she comes to find out that she's in a cell inside the the Black Razor's facility and 
Andrew Lincoln comes and gets her because apparently she's going to start her training soon to become an agent for them. Meanwhile, deep in the jungles of South America, <laughs> the voodoo clone is uh, coming upon like an ancient Mayan temple. She uh, comes across some human guards that are that are standing watch, and you know, of course, they don't want to let her through. And um, she's about to kill one of them, and you hear a familiar voice from off the panel and it's it's our good old boy Hellspont and apparently after his fight with Superman he retreated to South America and he's just kind of been hanging out <laughs> and at some point I guess she made contact with him to meet him you know she I guess uh, holds some sort of loyalty for Hellspont because she wants to um, you know she basically tells me you know my allegiance is yours you know many have died in my hands in the name of your power and prophecy i hope you take you know, you take that as an offering and of course he's like you know how like you killing it it's going to impress me and basically as he says that he's got two beautiful women fanning him and he just sets them on fire <laughs> you see Hellspot being a chosen one, I can see that. <laughs> you know, with the whole Daemonite thing, and you know, they he becomes more powerful than them. I mean, he told his story over in Superman. That's basically what happened, and they got scared, and the Daemonites cast him out. So, for all intents and purposes, he's the Daemonite Satan. You know, I can get behind that story because basically that's what he's trying to do is he's trying to further the Daemonite race, and that's why she goes to him because she recognizes that he's. Uh, advanced his powers, you know, more than any other Daemonite, and she wants she wants that. That's why she wants to follow him to help prove her loyalty. You know, he he tells her about uh, the story of of the dead city of the Daemonites. Quick side note before we keep going: Did you catch the Comic Vine advertisement? I did. I sent them a message because I was so happy. That was so cool. I mean, obviously, if you guys have never gone to comicvine.com, uh, it's you know headed by by Tony and Sarah and and uh, you know Matt and there's a whole bunch of other. Those are the main people that I met at San Diego a couple years back. But I mean, they're really cool people. Lo- you know, they've they've always been really friendly, and their site, you know, it's its own Wikipedia, and and they always have a lot of good good content. Sarah had been doing all the voodoo reviews for a while. She hadn't done any recently, but but she did a lot of the early ones. So just wanted to give them a quick shout-out because they've always been really, really good to us, and that's a good site to check out. But anyway, Hellspont tells um, the voodoo clone about uh, a Daemonite-like encampment that was on the uh, the Jupiter moon Europa, and that they basically had a Daemonite weapon there. And that at some point they had to evacuate, and they left the weapon there, and he wants her to go get it, basically to prove her loyalty. But before they do that, we actually start a really cool, um, I guess, like a juxtaposition of panels, where we show Clone Voodoo fighting and Priscilla fighting. And Sammy Basri does a great job of just matching the poses, you know, it's like in one panel showing Priscilla hitting some some robot uh, you know, boxing dummies and in the other panel it shows uh, the voodoo clone knocking the heads off of one of the Mayan soldiers, you know <laughs> and and the, the rest of the panels of her flipping or you know, punching and dodging, you know, all match except for the final one where Priscilla gets hit by one of the boxing dummies 
while Voodoo finishes off the ones that she was going against. So it shows that the clone Voodoo, you know, actually was successful in her training and Priscilla was not. So so that that was a really cool uh, use of the panels and storytelling in this issue that I really appreciated that Williamson put in there. And, and then we, uh, for Priscilla, we have a, a new character who's introduced that I'm not sure how uh, significant he's going to be, but it's um, Axel Walker. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought it was Alex. Okay, that makes him a little bit more unique, because at first I thought Alex Walker, that's kind of generic, you know? <laughs> so his name is Axel. And he's wearing a suit that looks very much like the Tron suits that are happening over in Teen Titans right now. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he's a upper-level Power Ranger. I mean, Black Razor. <laughs> <laughs> He's just meant to uh, to help her out with her training because Andrew Lincoln has better things to do, basically. So Axel uh, tries to tell her that they've met before, and there's a really funny scene where Lincoln is like checking on some reports in the foreground. Meanwhile, in the background, you see that Axel and Priscilla are still talking, and she yells out, I was a what? <laughs> I'm going to kill her! <laughs> well, obviously, shows that... Uh, he told her that the other voodoo was a stripper. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Meanwhile, back in South America, uh, Hellspawn shows voodoo that he's got a small Damonite ship that can send her to go recover the weapon. And I love how she even calls him out on it. He's like, you know, why didn't you just salvage the weapon yourself? And uh, he's like, I'd rather send someone in my place as I continue to build my forces on Earth here. <laughs> and then she's like, well, of course I won't, you know, I, I will not fail. And he's, you know, finding an abandoned city should make for an easy mission. And he's like, when did I ever say it was abandoned? <laughs> <laughs> so, and then she he sends her off on that note. Apparently, somebody somebody joked about this next part. They were like, Priscilla has a uh, a uh, Harry Potter slash Voldemort moment where she <laughs> where she senses what the other voodoo just did, and he's a she's able to tell Andrew Lincoln about it. So they revealed that they also have a Daemonite ship, but apparently it hasn't worked. And as soon as she touches it, it miraculously works. Isn't that, wasn't that like the idea from Independence Day? Isn't that what happened? <laughs> yeah, something. something yeah. Like that. <laughs> so she gets a new group of Power Rangers to go with her. And uh, <laughs> we got Magnus and Flynn. And now what's her name? Skivlara? <laughs> Skivarla? <laughs> something like that. She kind of looks like Free Fall with blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. She has blue Kool-Aid dyed hair. So yeah. She kind of looks like Free Law and Christine Blaze. Let's see how many of you old Wallstorm fans know who Christine Blaze is. And uh, so, yeah, so they all jump in the in the ship, and she basically pilots it, and they chase after other voodoo out towards Europa and the moon. And so now we are switching the title from espionage to sci-fi. As we next issue will be Voodoo in Space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you there was the Rob Liefeld um, advertisement, which yeah. Oh yeah, wait, how does it read? Comic superstar Rob Liefeld takes control of DC's hardest hitters. Anyway, so I like the issue, and uh, <laughs> I'm I'm okay with them going into space because you know. You're fighting an alien race, you know. It's not the you know the voodoo clone was in space for a while there, fighting her her uh, failed clone attempts. So, not too far fetched. What did you think, Ben? No, I I liked it as well. What's weird is I I know that this title is not 
not doing very well. But I, I've been enjoying Voodoo and where it's going, and I have no problems with this this diversion out to Jupiter, I guess. I love the juxtaposition that Sammy and, and Williamson's doing with the art and, and how they're presenting the dichotomy between the clone and Priscilla herself. Uh, I didn't even pay attention to those that spread in the panels like mirroring one another. I don't know how I didn't catch that, but that was gorgeous and it was awesome. I love Bossery's art. I mean, he's, yeah, we've talked about it before. <laughs> well, you know what I was thinking after seeing him draw Hellspawn and Voodoo? I would totally buy him on a, on a Wildcats title. They would just put a big name writer and then just put him, you know, and that would give him some more exposure. Yeah, that would be epic. And and it's definitely, I, I think the one of the reasons why I really enjoy this title is I, I feel the emotions a lot more from both the clone and Priscilla herself, just because he, he emotes so well with his drawing, his facial expressions as you, as you spoke about. So I, I care more about these characters way more so than I do grifter. He's just a, yeah, but yes, I'm enjoying the title. Uh, you know, this is, has leaped to the second place, pretty quickly in the last couple issues. Well, especially since Grifter's kind of uh, fallen off a cliff, so to speak, since he enjoys the mountain so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cover some other Wildstorm sightings and tie-ins over the last month. So on May 9th, we had Deathstroke number 9, which was one of Rob Liefeld's other heavy hitter. And the only reason that we're mentioning this title, because we haven't ever mentioned it before is that this had the first appearance of the dcu version of zealot you read it right joe yeah the arts by rob liefeld so <laughs> tackle that first <laughs> she looks like a blow-up doll <laughs> yeah i think that was a consensus at clark's bar i you can't explain it any other way she looks lifeless and that's pretty much it <laughs> But the scary thing about that issue is I actually enjoyed that issue more than Grifter. <laughs> so, go figure. <laughs> yeah, it was better, actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because the whole thing is that she's, like, part of a group that's going to go after Lobo, and, and like, the, everybody in the group is an alien themselves. So, that's good that they kept her an alien. Um, maybe that's why he didn't want to use Sheshire because he wanted that theme there. I mean, I guess that's okay. Because uh, at least for now we're going to get some of that, and and there was some really cool stuff with with the whole you know them versus Lobo and you know him him doing the jailbreak and but the designs of some of the characters are just so generic though some of the other ones. I'm going to run down the list really quick because like we said earlier, uh, we are going to be doing a special edition. But uh, on May second, the Teen Titans annual number one came out, and that was the Culling Part One, Demon Knights. Number 9 came out on May 9th, and this was the death of Merlin, or the disappearance of Merlin, and that was basically Adam 1 from Stormwatch. So I I don't know if there's going to be much tie-ins anymore with Demon Knights since Adam 1 got killed off, and they're not really going along with that storyline anyway. And what I did want to mention is, um, we mentioned it last episode, how we were talking about Free Comic Book Day, but... Um, in the new DCU 52 free comic book day giveaway, there was Etrigan's armor in the black room, which is a, a secret room. Superboy 
number nine came out on May 9th. That was part two. Legion Lost number nine came out on May 9th as well, and that was part three. And then uh, May 23rd, Teen Titans number nine came out, which is the culling finale. And I haven't read that yet because I've been waiting to get my hands on Legion Lost. And remember, you can do you can do it digitally if you want. So <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Speaking of that, remember all these books are available digitally either through DC Comics website or Comicsology.com. Day and date every Wednesday. Huh? Mm-hmm. It's funny that we talk about that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously other some other releases that we got coming up here in June. You know, we got Stormwatch number ten coming out. Uh, on the 6th of June, uh, on the 13th, we've got Grifter number 10, Ravagers number 2, which Ravagers number 1, you know, is going to come out on the, the 30th of May here. And uh, Deathstroke number 10 also comes out that day with some more Zealot. And on the 27th, we've got Voodoo number 10. And I didn't put it in here, but Red Lanterns number 10 does have Apollo and Midnighter. So we'll be watching out for that in June as well. So just some quick shout-outs. Uh, be sure and check out Chris Stryker's Stormwatch site, which is uh, just stormwatch.ws. There's another BWW. Uh, and he actually added a lot of uh, new stuff concerning the old uh, versions of Stormwatch, including Team Achilles and Post-Human Division. So, so he's taken some time to add some pretty cool stuff there. And also remember to visit the Higher Authorities message boards, Clark's Bar, to continue to discuss the Wallstrom integration among longtime Wallstrom fans, which is all just the authority at .ws, all again, on www. We're actually getting a couple of new people that have popped in, so that's kind of cool that, you know, see some new people there. I think I saw somebody with the screen name Winter. Another one, his name is Twitter. Uh, he's the one who was defending Grifter number nine <laughs> and wanted me so he wanted so much for me to like it. I'm like, I just can't. I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I do appreciate your passion, though. <laughs> also, thanks to the guys over at Only the Valiant podcast for putting our Daemonite commercial on their latest episode. Uh, they've kind of become like our friends of the show. And since they've helped us spread the Wildstorm love, we want to help spread the Valiant love as that universe relaunches again for the first time in over a decade. Uh, just had Exo number one come out in May and Harbinger number one coming out in June. So give those titles a try. And if you want to contact us, and thanks again to Rick for the email, but if you want to send us an email, you know, I, we will get back to you. I did get back to Rick, and as we did discuss it here on the podcast as well, so you get a double dose of an answer. <laughs> I don't know. That might encourage or discourage. And Ben, what do you think? <laughs> hey, whatever. We'll, we'll take it. We enjoy the, the feedback. Yeah, <laughs> but you can contact us. You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com backslash grifter78, or you can look us both up at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Uh, I'm grifter78, and Ben is yo yo master146, and that's wildstormresource.wetpaint.com. Uh, podcast Twitter is twitter.com backslash wildstormaddict, and you can email us at wildstormaddiction at gmail.com, or you can find us on our Facebook fan page or Google Plus page. So, um, so we definitely had an interesting month, that's for sure. Uh, I'm really, really excited to do the uh, the culling uh, crossover podcast next. So you guys be watching out for that, and we fingers crossed. See if we can get a, a special guest for that. Anything else you want to take us home with, Ben? Keep on reading, <laughs> and keep your fingers crossed for a Wildcats title. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs>